I, I, rem- I was sharing in, 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 in Cutler that when I was in junior high, I was a little thinner than what I am now. Now, somebody already started laughing, breaking down. Why, why are y'all laughing like that? Okay, I was a lot thinner than what I am now, okay? And I was fast, according to me. In my school, I thought, you know, I was one of the top runners. And it, we, we, we had an invitational meet, and we were going to meet at the high school and run against other runners. And I remember I was feeling kind of prideful that I had been chosen by my school, and I felt like, man, I'm going to run this race, and I'm going to beat whoever runs against me in the 100-yard dash. Well, there were, there was these, uh, two white, uh, Anglos that, uh, were running on one side. They were twins. They were known as the Hatfield twins. And on the other side of me was this, this black young man. His name was James Mackey. And I'll never forget James Mackey because he won the race. But before the race, he looked at me. I looked at him and he said, I could beat you with my grandma's combat boots on. I mean, right there, he was already trying to mess with my mind. He was trash talking. And I was like inside, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this race. I know I'm going to win. Well, the gun sounded, and James was about 10 yards ahead of me by the time I realized this guy's fast, right? And even the Hatfield. And I'll never forget that race because I learned that day that my calling was not to focus on James or the Hatfield twins. My calling was to stay focused on the race and on what I could do. And I believe that as we begin this new series entitled Finish the Race, this is a very important principle that we understand that God has called us to finish the race. And I want to share with you, beginning in Galatians chapter 5, a verse that's found in verse 7. It is a verse that has spoken to my life this past week and challenged me. And I hope that it speaks to you of the importance of making sure that you're running well. I'm going to read this verse out of three different translations. Galatians 5-7, beginning with uh, verse 7 out of the New King James. It says, you ran how? Well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I want you to notice what it says. You ran well. Past tense. In the New Living, it reads, You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? And then in the classic Amplified Version, it reads this way, You were running the race nobly. Who has interfered in, hindered and stopped you from your heeding and following the truth? One of the metaphors used in the Bible to describe the Christian life is that of running a race. But you and I need to know what kind of race we are called to run. This is not a sprinter's race. This is a marathon. In other words, the running that we are to do is with the mindset of this is for a long distance run. This is not a short run that we've been called to run. It's a long distance run. And what I've discovered is that when it comes to running the Christian race, many start, but few finish. Many start. But few finish. Why? Because people become tripped up 
or tangled by what others have done to them. As a result, some who used to run the race are now sidelined. And others who used to run the race are not running it well anymore. What causes us to become tripped up or tangled by others? There are four things that I believe that need to be addressed that do trip us up or cause us to be tangled by others. The first is confusion. One of the reasons why some people are either sidelined or no longer running this race well is because of confusion. Paul, when writing to this church of Galatia, Earlier, he wrote these words found in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Notice how the New Living puts it. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. He was saying, you have been given a spell. A spell has been cast on you that has thrown you into confusion. What was that spell? There was a group of religious people in Paul's day and in the day of the church of Galatia who were called Judaizers. And the Judaizers believed that you were not saved just by believing that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed you still had to continue to be circumcised. You still had to practice that which was connected to the old covenant And so they were saying to Paul, to Paul's disciples there at Galatia, you are not saved yet because you have not been circumcised. Those of you that have not been circumcised, you are not saved because it's Jesus plus. And I find today that even in the church of today, there are some that have a faulty concept of the gospel. They say things like, not only must you receive Jesus, but you also have to be baptized in a certain way in order to be saved. Not only must you receive Jesus, but you first must speak in tongues before you are saved. Let me tell you something. What the Word reveals is this. It is Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Everything. Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. This is important. That's the gospel. You and I are not, are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what Jesus has done. He is the only one, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us that was perfect and sinless. And thereby he was the only one that was in position to be a sacrifice that would satisfy the justice and holiness holiness of God. And the Bible tells us that he did become like us. He became flesh. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just like you and I, but yet without sin. Therefore, when he was placed on that cross, he was our lamb without blemish. He was our lamb without spot. And when his blood was shed, he fully satisfied the justice demands of God's holiness. He fully completed what 
what was necessary for us to be saved. And so I want to say it clear and I want to say it loud. You are not saved by Jesus plus something. You are saved by Jesus plus nothing. The moment you turn from your sin, turn to Him who is the only one who can save us. This is so important because it was confusion that caused them to begin to stop running well and even caused some to become sidelined. Then there's another thing that can cause us to stop running well or to become sidelined. It's comparison. Comparison. Hmm. In this race we are running, we can become distracted by placing our focus on the other runners in the race instead of the one who called us to run the race. You see, when we're running this Christian race, what we're going to discover is that when we're running, there's some people that can't keep pace with us. And if we look around, we'll see, oh, there's others that can't keep up with me. And if you start looking at those behind you, you know what starts coming into your heart? Pride. Pride. And pride will trip you up. For the Bible says, pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. But there's another thing that can happen. If we are not looking to the one who called us to run the race, instead looking around to those that are running the race with us, we can start looking and discovering that there are runners ahead of us. There are runners that are running better than us. There are runners that are running faster than us. There are runners that are beating us. And what happens if you keep your eyes on those ahead of you that are running better, faster than you? What comes into your heart? Discouragement. You become discouraged. You begin to think, well, I must not be that good. I must not be doing what's right. I must not be that good of a Christian. And this is how the enemy works. He will cause us to start to look at the other runners in the race. Either to trip us up through pride or tangle us up by discouragement. Pride because there are others behind us. Discouragement because there are others running in front of us. But I want you to understand something. You and I are called by God. And the God that calls us, He gives us grace to run at the pace that He's called us to run in. Look what Paul writes to the church of Galatia. There in Galatians chapter 6 verse 4 in the Amplified, it says, But each one must carefully scrutinize his own work, examining his actions, attitudes, and behavior. And then he can have personal satisfaction and inner joy of doing something commendable without comparing himself to another. Woo! When I'm running the race, understanding God's given me grace to run at a certain pace. He's given you grace to run at a certain pace. He doesn't expect me to run at your pace and you to run at my pace. And when I accept that and I embrace that, I start running with joy because I know I am running for Him. I'm running to Him and I'm running for Him. Woo! And God has...
has given us grace to pace and for our place. I tell you, I should be a rapper. Watch this. What do you mean for our place? In Hebrews 12.1, the Bible says, Therefore, being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it tells us, let us, let us, it says, let us throw off every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. And then it ends with these words, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But literally, in the, he, in the Greek language, it means let us run with endurance or persistence or perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. What is that saying? God has a lane for you to run in. God has a lane for me to run in. Maybe you're in lane number one. Maybe you're in lane number two. Maybe I'm in lane number four. And God says, I don't want you to run in that lane. I want you to run in number four. That's where I put you. Just stay in your lane. But God, I like their lane better. No, but I've graced you to run in lane number four. I want to say to you, you may not do what that other person is doing, but neither can they do what God's graced you to do. Stay focused and running your own lane. Don't compare with others, but Keep your eyes like the Bible tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what can trip us up and, and cause us to be tangled by others? It's confusion, comparison, and thirdly, conflict. Conflict. Now, I've been, in ra- I've been raised in church since... I started breathing. In fact, I think after two days, my mom had me in church already. That's the way it was. And, I was, and back then, we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights. Tuesdays were prayer. Tuesday morning was morning prayer at 10 o'clock. And there's my mama. We're going to pray, boy. So... You know, that's, that was a baby. I couldn't talk, remember? <laughs> and then sometimes they would have what they call vigilias, all night vigils on Friday night. Pray all night. You wonder why I had to go through therapy. I was bitter, like all the time I got. No, no, that's, so some of you are like, oh, pastor, what's the matter? Pray for me. I told you, pray for me. But here's what I've discovered growing up in church. Church people can be mean. And they can fight over stuff like you're like, what? I told them in Cutler. A few years back, in Cutler we used to have benches. And one time I decided I was going to move the benches and set them up differently. They were used to two rows of benches. And I said, you know what? Let's make three sections of benches. You would have think, you would have thought I had committed the unpardonable sin. People were like, oh, what happened? How? Who did this? And I came out. I did. How could you? 
And you should have seen the Sunday after I did that. It was a heavy service. Because there were some people that couldn't worship. They're still caught up with. The house of God has been desecrated. He moved the benches from their holy positions. That's how I felt. Because I mean, and I was getting mad dog by people in the church that were upset that I moved the benches. You think that's. Is it dumb? That, that's Christian, dumb. You think that's dumb? People in church will get mad over, that's the color of carpet we put in. That's the paint, color paint. I'm like, what does that have to do with salvation, with the kingdom work? But we get caught up in stuff like that. And I've learned it's very dangerous as a pastor to show up at the church potlucks. Especially when there are sisters in the church who have made the same dish. Because then you're expected to judge which dish is the best. And I already know, if there's more than one potato salad, I'm in trouble. Because I'm going to have to taste all of them. And as I'm tasting them, the sisters are in the background waiting for the judge to announce the winner of the potato salad. And I've learned I can't say anything. Why? Because... If I pick one, the other one will be mad at me, but not just mad at me, mad at the other person who won. And afterwards, the fight doesn't end there. She who lost will tell her who won. This pastor just doesn't know what good potato salad is like. It just happens. You can't win. And what I've discovered... This has been going on since Bible days. Paul writing to the church of Philippians. Watch this. Verses 2 and 3. Philippians 4, 2 and 3. Now I appeal to you, Udia. Right, babe? Udia. We were listening. Udia. Udia. Yeah, I put I. And Sinki. <laughs> We were listening on the way over here because I was like, who says those names? Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your what? Your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. These were hard-working women. But they got in a conflict in the church. Paul doesn't specify what it was. My guess is potato salad. But I don't, I can't tell you if that's true or not. But whatever, he doesn't focus on what the reason was, but he focuses on what should be our focus. When disagreements arise, we should not stay stuck in disagreement and conflict. We should remember we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, Jesus said. 
Then Paul, writing to the church of Galatia, there in chapter 5, notice what he writes. Verses 13 through 15 in the Passion Translation. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another. Expressing love in all we do. For love completes the laws of God. All of the laws can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for and love yourself. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over what? Minor issues. Over minor issues. You're acting like what? Wild beasts. Say wild. Don't wild, wild. Wild beasts trying to destroy one another. I discovered in the church... Peanut. La gata is not just in the hood. She's in church. Moscow <laughs> is not just in the hood, in the barrio. He's in church. Irritating. I mean, it happens. I've discovered this. And here Paul is saying, church, if you're not serving one another in love, you're going to be in conflict with one another. You're going to be like wild beasts, and that's not what we're called. We are called to serve one another in love. Listen to me, church. I want us to understand that we are family. We are purchased by the same blood of Jesus Christ. But we're still dysfunctional. But as we yield to God... We will become more and more functional. Amen. And how do we do that? Come with the mindset to serve. Serve. It's not about status. I'm here to serve. What if we all had the mindset, I'm going to outserve you? You think there'd be conflict? Yeah, there would, because who's going to get the blue ribbon today? No, no. Watch this. He says over minor issues. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, The Grace Awakening, he writes of a church that had a vibrant ministry and was having a powerful impact on their community. But then a disagreement began to form. While it seemed small and insignificant at first, it grew and grew until the church was sharply divided. When it was apparent that this issue could not be solved in a manner, in a manner that would be suitable to everyone, half of the congregation left to form their own church. Today, he writes, while both churches still exist, neither has the outreach ministry that they did before. Would you like to know what the disagreement was over, he writes? Would you like, of course you would. Inquiring minds want to know. The disagreement was over. The coffee that was served after services for a time of fellowship and light refreshments. Here was a disagreement. It was over whether the coffee should be served by the back door or in the fellowship hall. An issue that small and petty destroyed what had been a great ministry. 
One little boy was called up front of his class at school to solve a math problem. The teacher asked him, you have a pie with six pieces. There are five in your family, your brother, your sister, your mother and father and you. Each one gets one piece of the pie. Now you only have one piece left. We don't want to cause any disagreement, so it is decided to divide the little piece of pie evenly among your family. Tell me with a fraction how it will be divided up. The little boy answered, one-fourth. The teacher said, no, it would be one-fifth because there are five in your family and it will be divided evenly. The little boy said, no, teacher, it will be one-fourth. This happens all the time in my family. And my mother divides up the piece of pie, but she never gives any to herself. We should be like that mother. I should say you, because you know how much pie means to me. But no, we should be like that mother. And this is what Paul was trying to get the Galatians to do. Instead of fighting over minor things, see how you can serve one another in love. Then there's one more thing that can cause us to become tripped up or tangled by others. It's choice. Choice. Say choice. Jesus made a statement in Luke chapter 17 verse 1. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. What was he saying? It is impossible as you go on through life. Not to have to deal with being offended by the actions of others. How many of you this past week had somebody get under your skin? Rub you the wrong way. How many of you had crossed somebody's path this week who caused your blood pressure to go up? The rest of you need to get up here and repent. Uh, (laughs) The reality is that as we live in life, we will be offended by the actions of others. But take to word, take to heart rather the words of T. Austin Sparks. He said, if you get upset, offended, and go off and sulk and nurse your grievance, you will die. Someone else noted, happy is a man who is not easily offended. Let me be clear. Others may hurt, hinder, or even hold you back. But only you can stop you permanently. Others may hurt, hinder, or hold you back. But only you can stop you permanently. So what happens, Pastor, if somebody offends me? There are do's and don'ts. When somebody offends you first, don't curse it. Don't curse it. Some of you ain't going to like this. But I'm going to say it anyways. God can't fight for you when you fight for yourself. God can't fight for you 
when you fight for yourself. So don't retaliate when you are hurt. Don't take revenge. Don't strike back. Leave the offense in God's hands. Paul writes in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, you don't have to curse it when somebody offends you. Instead, you let you leave the matters in the hands of God. His hands are bigger than yours, stronger than yours, more powerful than yours. You rest in Him. And then, don't rehearse it. You see, resentment is addictive. It is one of the greatest killers of careers marriages and families because it causes you to focus only on the past and not on the present or the future look what the bible says in job 5 2 for wrath kills a foolish man and envy slays a simple one you and I become more and more addicted to resentment as the longer that we continue to rehearse the offense that was committed to us. But I'm saying to you, stop it before it destroys you. Here's the bottom line. You can't get ahead trying to get even. You can't get ahead trying to get even. And thirdly, don't nurse it. Don't nurse it. <laughs> when somebody offends us, it's very easy to nurse it, to treat it like a little pet. Oh, this is my offense. And we start showing everyone, look at this. This is my offense. Oh, no. You nurse, whatever you nurse is going to grow. Let me encourage you. If you ever find a raccoon, don't adopt it as a pet. Oh, but it's so cute. That cute little thing has long nails for a purpose. It will get you. Same way. I understand. I've been there. We get offended. But we cannot hold on. We cannot nurse it. We cannot feed it because if we feed it, it will turn into a monster that will ultimately destroy us. Don't nurse it. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In the Living Bible it says, if you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly. For when you are angry, watch, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's okay to get angry. If something unjust has been done against you, it's okay to be upset about it. But it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to hold on to it. Because what happens? If you do, it tells us, you're opening the door for the devil to do what he wants to do in your life, in your heart. Don't nurse it. So what do I do, Pastor? Disperse it. Disperse it. Lift your hurts, anger, and frustration to God in prayer. In the words of Frozen, 
There you go. Let it go. Let the hurt go. Let the offense go. Don't hold on to them. When you give your pain to the Lord, something wonderful happens. God helps you forget the pain, sorrows, and grievances you've experienced. Are you saying, Pastor, that He erases it from my memory? No, that's not what the Bible means by forgetting. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis chapter 41 that Joseph had a son. And the son's name was Manasseh because you caused me to forget the pain you've caused me to forget my pain he said understand in the bible to forget means to be no longer influenced or affected by to be no longer influenced or affected by that's what paul meant when he said in philippians 3 forgetting the things which are behind i am no longer influenced or affected by them it doesn't mean that they don't come up again it doesn't mean that the memory doesn't resurface but now that i know that through jesus i have been washed and cleansed now that I know that I've released it to him I know also that I have power so that the next time it rises up I can say uh uh-uh, uh I see you but I don't have to stay here with you I can keep running my race because I've got the strength to move beyond you you no longer have a, a hook in me you no longer have me on a leash it's been broken off of me and I don't I am no longer being controlled mastered affected by you Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. But you don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't know. I don't know your pain. I don't know how deep the wound is. I don't. And it's okay to be upset about it. But now it's the time to say, I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm going to release it. Why? Because when you release it, you're released in the process. And what happens when you do that? You're letting God reverse it. You're letting God reverse it. You may ask, what about the evildoers who hurt me? God is righteous. God is a just God. He will correct every wrong and deal with the evildoers in the right time. Leave them to Him. And let Him be the judge. But for you, just learn to forget. Don't curse it. Don't rehearse it. Don't nurse it. Disperse it. And God will reverse it. The command came. On your mark. Get set. Then the gun went off. And the race was on. A fine athlete sprang to the lead. And when the race was over, he had broken the state record. Only a few other runners even finished the race. Many dropped out when they saw they could not win. As the field crew was bringing out the hurdles for the next race, one of the judges yelled, Get those hurdles out of the way! This race is not over! Look! Around the turn came a runner. 
panting and staggering. The crowd stood in silent disbelief as he made his way over the last hundred yards and literally fell across the finish line, grinding his face into the cinder track. One of the judges ran to the boy, turned him over on his back, took his handkerchief, and wiped the blood from his face. Son, why didn't you just drop out? What are you doing in the mile race anyway? Between gasp, the boy explained that his school had a good miler who had gotten sick just a few days before. The coach had promised to have a man in every event. And so he asked the boy to run the mile. Well, son, why didn't you just drop out when you saw that you had lost? The boy answered, Judge, they didn't send me here to quit. They didn't even send me here to win. They sent me here to run this mile, and I ran it. God has called you. And I, to finish the race. Let's finish it. He didn't call me to run in your lane. He didn't call you to run in my lane. He didn't call me to keep pace with you. Or you to keep pace with me. He just says to you and I, finish the race. And watch this. In the Christian race... This is what's different than the races that were run in the Greek times as well as in our day. In the Christian race, whoever crosses the finish line wins. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Doesn't matter where you end up. You can be first, you can be last. But if you stay in the race and you just get to the finish line, you win in this race. I'm determined. I'm finishing this race. I'm running this race to finish. It may be that when I'm running, my pace starts getting slower. But I'm going to run funny too and I'm just asking God please God just play chariots of fire as I'm coming through and I'm telling you you got to know something about Pastor Angel I'm not a quitter I'll be in pain I'll be wounded at times I'm not a quitter why because I've had some people in front of me that are already there and I learn through them I watch them <laughs> they finished my dad 39 he finished at 39 cancer couldn't beat him cancer couldn't stop him from denying his faith mama she finished Later in life, but I saw sickness couldn't stop her. She kept running. Abe, right now, I'm feeling good. But I know the day may come 
When I get up one morning, it's like, oh, I can't, I can't run like I used to. But here's what you got to know about me. I'm still going to come and cross the finish line because woo, <laughs> I've learned there's nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And as long as I'm responding to His love, He will give me grace to run at whatever pace that He wants me to run. And He will help me to stay in my lane. I'm not running this to impress you. I'm not running this to beat you. I'm not running this to outrun anybody. I'm just running this to reach the finish line because I know that He is faithful who has called me. I want to Finish the one who is committed to finish his work in my life. Hallelujah. Let's all stand on our feet. Let's give him praise, Lord. Oh, you're worthy. Lord, you're worthy. We praise you. We exalt you. We glorify you. Oh, God, we are confident today. We are confident not because we've got what it takes on our own, but because your promise is being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm staying in the race. I'm staying in my lane. I'm running this race according to the grace and the pace that you've called me to run it in. I'm running this race to the end. I'm committed, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to let confusion, comparison, conflict, or even my choice to stop me from running this race. I'm not going to use my choice to hold on to offense. I'm going to use it to disperse. To disperse it so that you can reverse it. I will not curse it. I will not nurse it. I will not rehearse it, no. I'm going to disperse it. And I'm going to let you reverse it. As you're standing, I want to say to you, child of God, son, daughter of God, please, I appeal to you. If you've been hurt, don't hold on to the offense. But you say, Pastor, but them, listen. They're not running your race. You are. You are. I'm not discounting the pain, the hurt. I'm saying to you is, if you'll release it, and you'll release them, those that have put you through the holding of, a, on, of offense, they put you and you put yourself in a prison. I'm saying to you, if you release them and you release the offense, 
you're going to be released. As you forgive, you're going to discover that the prisoner was actually you. God's called you and I to freedom. He doesn't want us to be tangled up. He wants us to be free. I want to encourage you today to release, to let go. I'm going to make a bold call right now. There's some of you, you've been hurt and you've been offended. And you realize today, if I'm going to run this race to the end, I need to let go. And I'm ready to because I want to finish this. I want to finish it. I don't want to let anyone stop me from what God's called me to experience that's you. I want you to make your way forward right now. We're going to pray with you. Just come. Come to this altar. Because I believe God will free you. And as you release today, God is going to release you. You're not going to be tangled up by that anymore. You're not going to be tripped up by it. Today is your day of freedom. You want that? Come right now. Come to this front area. The altar. That's it. Come. Come. God is here to free you today. God is here to release you today. God is here. I want my freedom, Pastor. I want to be released from this entanglement. I've been holding on. Let go. This is your moment to let go. And God will release you. That's it.